Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. What are the rights of henchmen in a gig economy? How do CEO CEOs of corporations decide if they are the villain? All these questions and more we're going to discuss with the founders of Superhuman Public Radio. All that and more for commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, my name is Matthew, I'm your host, and today I have an episode I've been really excited to uh, be a part of ever since these folks contacted me. There's a great radio show that's available on, there's a great podcast that's available, you can find it as Superhuman Public Radio, in which they basically create an NPR-style radio show about a world in which supers exist. I started listening to it, I was, I was really into it, it's very funny, it's very engaging, but the best part is that so much of their story is about questions in our own world. And I, I just listened to it and I thought, this is so perfect for su superhero ethics. I was so glad these folks contacted me. And now I'm happy to say I have the two creators as our host, as our co-hosts today. So uh, Maximilian Clark and John Dorsey, thank you so much for being here. How are you folks doing today? Doing good. I'm doing great. Baby's asleep, so. <laughs> <laughs> always a plus, always a plus. Yeah. Well, so let's just, let's just jump in. I gave a quick introduction to it, but how would you describe what is superhuman public radio and and especially what what was kind of your thinking of it what were you trying to do with creating this project so superhuman public radio is a parody of npr in a world where superheroes exist and right. this is a project that actually sprang forth from a joke i ran i read it <laughs> or i i wrote in a screenplay years ago and while that thing died i kept on thinking about like oh what would that sound like and, you know, the project comes out of the idea of there's there's so many journalists in superheroic worlds. There's the Daily Planet. There's the Daily, you know, the Daily Bugle, lots of daily things. Um, and we never really get that perspective, and especially, you know, what happens when the punching is over and the dust settles. And as I get older, that's the story I am kind of most invested in when reading comics i'm i'm interested in okay you know ultron's attacking the world well what happens afterwards like there is a consequence to these stories and because of how we frame this we we get to explore these fantastic situations through kind of uh the way we hear about our own world yeah i i really like hearing you talk about that because i think that was one of the things that most drew me to the project I have always been interested in world-building ideas. You know, what happens once superheroes exist, you know, once the, the, the fighting stops, what happens in the rest of the world? I've been really enjoying The Boys TV show, even though it's very, very grim dark, because it's doing some of that. And I, 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 what I love so much is how much you all capture just the mundaneness, the day-to-day -day of what would really happen when hen being a henchman becomes a part of a gig economy or when the... Uh, the utility belt kind of shows that you do. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's like, you know, I, I think everyone always has those moments, like when, like, if you watch, like, the uh, first seasons of, like, the Arrow TV show and mm -hmm. you see uh, Oliver just, like, kill 65 hired goons and then get to the <laughs> bad guy and it's like, no, I'm not going to kill you because that would make me a bad person. And, and like, I think everyone watching that is just like, hey, but wait, you killed so many people to get here. Just, the, like, those people had families. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, th I think that, like that stuff is always touring around in the background of our mind and it's, it's, I don't know, I've, for me, I, I, I'm always attracted to the sort of like 
boring jokes. In middle school, I wrote a comic um, uh, about a group of ser- superheroes that were contractually obligated um, <laughs> to um, like form a super team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like they they had a manager who like like this was his last group that he had to manage before retirement. So he's like co- constantly trying to get them to quit. Right. Uh, and and it's just like like they 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 like drive around in, in like a 1983 Yugo, and uh, <laughs> they're just like the worst of everything. And it's just like like the idea that it's like you know if you put a lot of stuff into practice, like I think I think what the boys does right is the idea that like the way that we glamorize like the cool heroes, right? Like, right. like, like, you know, the supermen of the world were like, yes, this person. But like, I don't know. I, I think Jack and I are always more attracted to like, you know, the X-Men kind of ethos mm-hmm. where it's just like, you know, it's all having these powers is also a burden. And right. it's like, and for some people it's a curse, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's consequence. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we talk about, you know, in our writer's room, which is really just me and Max staring at one another, you know, is from, from two you know, inches the, away. The, yeah. And it's, you know, we describe the show as parody with a purpose, you know, because right. what we're doing isn't new. Uh, you know, you have Venture Brothers, which did it extremely well. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned the boys, but, you know, not only are we trying to parody these things, but it's, you know, it's that question, right? Like, air, the, the Green Arrow kills 60 henchmen. And, you know, in, in my own household, when me and my wife are watching things, when henchmen die, we're always like, you know, doing their voices of like, oh, I was only here to pay my student loans. <laughs> like, Love like that. I just reconnected with my, my family yeah. and like, I'm dead now. But then to take that, you know, again, a step further, if capitalism exists in a world full of superheroes, you know, there are going to be ads for superheroes. Right. There's there's going to be a lot of very unpleasant things like politics is going to be intrinsically tied to superheroes. And we just, we want to tell the stories that we know and love. You know, we, we kind of treat all of, all of the comics canon as, you know, kind of like Greek myth. Like Mm. we're inspired by them, not trying to do a direct one-to-one. So for example, one of our, you know, the first story when, when I, I thought about this was, you know, Superman is an illegal alien. And to my knowledge, he has never been naturalized in the comics. So one of our biggest stories, if not the A story for our entire season, is Cosmos, our Superman allegory, is arrested by ice. And, you know, what does that do? Like, what would a Superman-like figure do? He can obviously break out. Um but if he does that, what is that going to do to his super group? What is that going to do to other supers and how children see him? Right. So it really spills out into the world where in comics you get you would get a story like that and you learn like the director of ICE is, you know, a robot and he's doing it. He's having him arrested for this reason and everything gets solved. But. You know, in the real world, we don't get to punch our way out of things. Like, we have to go through policy, mm-hmm. and this stuff takes a really long time. And it's really fun to write these stories using the rules of the real world. Right. I think that's one of the things that most drew me to your project. Uh, first, I just want to quick say on the thing about Arrow, what has become almost kind of a cliche on this show, because we talk about it so often, 
my, my personal favorite of those, you know, what the camera sees and what it doesn't see is that Daredevil, personally my favorite probably comic property on TV in the last couple of years, who constantly maintains that he never kills people. He just hits them in the head with a metal pipe again and again and again. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm now kind of envisioning this world of, you know, the hospital of people with severe brain damage and not that have died of all the people Daredevil has hit over the years. But I really like the way you talk about that. And I, I want to I want to ask more there. One of the things I've always loved about comics and especially like with the X-Men you mentioned is that they're not being written in a vacuum. You know, Stan Lee has said many times, as of other uh comic creators that they were writing very intentionally about the the issues of the day you know jack kirby creates mm. captain america to punch hitler um th- these were always written as entertainment as fun but clearly showing kind of the point of view of the writers um yeah. for you all obviously it seems like there's a definitely you have a lot of a lot of commentary in 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 the you have a, there's a lot of commentary in these stories where was that playing for you in terms of what you're thinking about as you were writing this in terms of like how much you were just wanted to kind of pose questions or where you had a point of view and you had something you, you wanted to express through these? Yeah. Well, I mean, we were writing a lot of this uh, early last year. Um, uh, like, we, and, and I think actually probably late uh, 2019, we had, we had a couple of things in. And so like, you know, before COVID, you know, remember the world, we got to focus on the other small horrors of daily life. I right. mean, like in the doom scroll, I mean, like, I mean, uh, there's a big reason immigration is such a, big uh part of our season but you know just the slow and dawning rise of like you know fascism the way like like you know in season two we're we're planning to talk a lot about the sort of uh way that like you know individual like people just normal people get radicalized Mm. um but um yeah i mean like what you said like i mean like so many of uh comics were born out of like you know the Jewish experience in the 30s and yeah. 40s, right? Like, like yeah. the idea of being uh, an outsider, and you know, X Men is again always just like a stand-in for the civil rights of whatever day X Men's being published in, and we love that. We think that you know, that's it's it's a there are people that won't listen to you if you're talking about the reason like refugees, you know, deserve a life free of fear. Right. But if you're talking about space aliens. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden they, they they relax a little bit. And I think, you know, any good storytelling, you know, is able to use allegory. I mean, like even like that's what fairy tales are, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they, they they take a moral point and they put it in a genre that allows you to relax and think about the internal abstract issue without being bogged down in your own personal biases. And, you know, you were correct in saying that we have a soapbox and we definitely get to use it, you know. The henchman storyline is directly inspired by the fact that I'm in a union and I worked non-union jobs for years. So when I finally joined one and where I was able to get benefits and retirement, that was it, it was really eye-opening to me. Like, oh my god! Like a lot of people don't have this, and obviously with Uber and Lyft and companies such as such as that back in 2019 and you know, 2020 before everything went COVID. Uh, that was something that was in the forefront of my mind. And I, I also live a mile from where Amazon is opening. Yeah. And I was very frustrated with how that story was being covered because Amazon really bullied city, cities into giving them information when they already knew they were going to open up in New York and 
in uh, Virginia. And just to jump in there, for those uh, folks who have not heard uh, the show yet, though I very much encourage you to do so, uh, what what John is talking about is what, some of your first stories are about the, the I guess I can best describe it as the henchman gig economy, right? You do this great thing about going undercover with students who are trying to pay their loans or other people who are kind of down on their luck. And so they sign up for these like henchmen for hire groups or, you know, a getaway driver for Lyft things. And I thought that's one of the, yeah. the one of the things I'm, I, I'm most connected to from the very beginning is that you have these great stories about people who they don't want to be part of an evil plot. They just this is how they can pay the bills. And then, of course, you know, that means they get in the way of the superheroes as they're fighting their way to freedom or whatever. Yeah. Well, and, and something that we explore a lot, which I, I think we have a lot of fun with, is it's like, you know, if you look at our own world, like, what, do you, what is a supervillain? I mean, like, you know, the tobacco industry killed more people than Lex Luthor ever did. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, you know, we have these sorts of being evil that are kind of normalized. And so, like, in a superhero world, it is kind of interesting to think about, like, yeah, I, I worked for Dr. Insano for uh, 10 years. It was great. I had full dental. Um Six months maternity leave. It was it was like incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and and we 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 didn't really hurt that many people when we blew up Idaho. I mean, it's like <laughs> you know, and, and and being able to talk about stuff like uh, that is just. I mean, like I mean, Amazon like you know has hired literal Pinkertons to to chase down uh, uh, union formations. Right? It's right. like you know, like like how do you even tell when you're when you're working um, for for a bad guy? But um. Uh, on the on the like uh, hero is working for an app thing. That's actually uh, how Jack and I met. Uh, was uh, he had a project that was centered around uh, being a a, a a a TV pilot that centered around being a superhero in the gig economy, and uh, I was slated to direct it. Uh, and then you know quarantine and lockdown and. <laughs> Co- yeah. then the end of the world happened yeah. <laughs> um yeah and, and th- th- that was just like a really fun way that we were able to preserve uh that storyline and right and bring it out but yeah it's but it's like yeah it's so it's so weird to think about it's like like someone gets hired as a henchman like lots of people get hired as henchmen like for them it's just like you know they work for a security company right they're they're outsourced and that right? it's not about politics that's one of my favorite questions that's one we've done a couple of episodes on just last night, because I'm kind of getting excited for the new show about Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, I went back and watched Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And, you know, of course, at the end of it, uh, Cap and his friends are just going up and killing everybody who's on these helicarriers because the conceit is that they're all working for Hydra now. And I remember thinking, like, do we know that? How many of these are just S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who think that they're doing what their superiors are are telling them to do because they're not questioning their orders. And of course, the, all the moral problems you get into there, but, but it, it always occurs to me that once a show decides, here's the person we want our hero to punch. They really try to make it easy for you to not think about the moral value of that person. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of love that too. What you all are doing is really raising that question of like, what is the moral value of these people who are, who are quote unquote heroes are killing and beating up without seemingly any, any doubts or qualms. So one of the one of the discussions that we've had, because the question that you raised is kind of the central conceit behind the show, Mm -hmm. right, is to look at these very silly situation in comics and then kind of to say, all right, it's real world. This happened. How does how did we respond? Right. And there are a lot of times where we try to sympathize with these people. You know, we have an entire episode dedicated to our, you know, This American Life program, which is these American supers covering supervillains. And 
you know, what are their motivations and did they really want to destroy the world? But when it gets to times like that, we kind of, <laughs> one of our rules is, is as soon as it starts not making sense, we kind of like, we kind of <laughs> hands off it mm. because you're right. Like situations like that are awful. I think that the boys does that really well. I I can't remember which episode, but when Homelander, it's it's when Homelander is finally allowed to go abroad, right. and you see him help American soldiers, and you see how grim that is, and he you know he just winds up killing all of these insurgents who are probably, you know, they're presented in such a way where they're not just outright terrorists, bad guys, and like some of them are very young. I know one is like. 16 and right. Homelander cuts him in half and he just turns around, you know, thumbs up the soldiers <laughs> and he's like, you guys, you're the real heroes. And he flies away like they, the boys gets to kind of deal with that really well, mm -hmm. at least on SPR. You know, we've had these discussions when, you know, the use of force with superheroes is a story that we want to deal with. But when we break a story on SPR, if it winds up being a story that maybe we're not the ones who are equipped to tell it, or if we don't have anything beyond saying like, hey, this is really, this is really messed up, you know, we, we tend to not go down those paths. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think because I think what you're talking about there is when we talk about use of force, inevitably that becomes about police brutality. Right. And yeah. That it's a thing that we we want to deal with. Not saying that we we haven't shied away from, you know, quote unquote controversial topics. It's just in storytelling, especially in superhero storytelling. You're right; people are otherized right. a lot of the time, and there is that question of, you know, they're just ripping through tons of people. You know, I okay, and the end of Avengers Endgame, right? Like. The, these alien armies are spilling out into onto Earth, and you know the bat good guys. Spider Man it, it turns on kill mode, and the little legs are stabbing these guys to death. And like it's that same question: like, is that the arrow thing of like, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, I'm doing this because my family is back in slavery on this planet. Right. It's well, I, I mean, I think I think that's actually something that the Marvel Cinematic Universe does a lot. Is I mean, the reason I well, most of their you know climatic battles are with cgi armies is because they feel more anonymous right they, oh, yeah. they're like they're, they're the putties from power rangers right marvel is indicating like you don't have to care about them they're it's like it's the droid army it's fine the robots kill as many as you want yeah it's almost always that it's you know it's aliens who often are looking like you know with some racial caricatures that are often problematic or like it's it's droids or it's zombie ninjas and daredevil like Marvel's pretty good at saying, like, here, these people are people you don't have to morally care about. Don't worry about them. Yeah. Yeah, because it gets really sticky as soon as they're, as soon as they're like, people. Which is also why I think the MCU generally has a villain problem, because they don't want to... They don't want you to sympathize too much with their <laughs> with their bad guys if uh, you also want to see, like, Thor drive, you know, a hammer through their head. Right. Um, also, I think something, something PG-13 PG rating. Um... But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it is something that we talk a lot about. I mean, like, villains in our world have a radio network. I mean, like, mm -hmm. you know, because, like, there's so much pageantry when it comes to, like, being a supervillain that it's, like, it's almost like, like, they're not 
how evil can you be if you spend all night sewing like a suit that has a bunch of question marks on it? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, there's 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 definitely you know there's definitely something there, and it's like, and I, I don't I, like, and we certainly don't have like the final like word on this, and uh, but it's just like it, it, every every time that we come to like an actual fight with a villain, it always gets so murky for us, right? No, I, I've, yeah, I, go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say, I think within the season, we only have one outright capital V villain in a character called Babylon, but Mm. we we don't really go into him. We actually, we broke our own rules, actually, with the conversation we've been having, because we intentionally didn't personify him, Mm. so that people could kind of fill him in with whatever bad guy-ness that... Yeah. They we, could yeah, we don't even hear his voice. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always thought that one of the things I, I love these stories, obviously, but I've always thought one the one area where sort of the the allegory of comic book superhero supervillain to our own world is is in our own world. It's much harder to find like actual legitimate supervillains. You know, I mean, we can point to certain politicians or things like that, but then a lot of times Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, yeah, certain uh, capitalists, Vladimir Putin, exactly. <laughs> But then, like, I mean, but also, like, how do you punch capitalism? How do you punch racism? Right. You know, how do you look? You know, a criminal justice system where like there isn't any one person gleefully rubbing their hands, saying like "mwahaha, let's lock up all the black people," and yet we get a criminal justice system that is dedicated to locking up black people. Like, and yeah. and I I really like the way that you you sort of introduce some of that of that it's it's sort of the insidiousness of ice that that is the the real villain against cosmos. It's that the um, the insidi- like you said, the insidious of the way capitalism works and therefore driving people into this henchman society. It, was that intentional or was that just kind of the way the story played out that a lot of your villains are not not really like specific people as much as just systems and, and, and aspects like that? That was very intentional. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in the MCU is Natasha to Captain America and she she says, you can't punch your way out of this one, Cap. And that's kind of mm. the ethos of the show is that there once once the punching is over, what do we do? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Because you the for me, like the best Marvel movie is Captain America Civil War because it's the first one where consequences actually show up on screen yeah. in the Soko- in the Sokovia Accords. You know, we spent an entire other movie dropping a nation onto the planet and now it finally has a consequence. And obviously it winds up with two groups of people punching each other, but for at least like 30 minutes of that movie you get these superheroes having the honest question of, hey, do we need limits or are limits by a other group of people going to point us in the wrong direction? And for us, that's that's where SPR lives. We want to answer those questions or at least show them go through it. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, we have, um, I mean, it's uh, the, the, the best, the biggest thing that we have is is with with Cosmos and his arrest by ICE, and a lot of the questions he raises of, okay, if I'm in jail, what happens? And you know, not to spoil anything in the season, but there is a consequence for placing this super being in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
really, it's like when when you're trying to tell a story, you obviously have to simplify some things. But like the real bad stuff in the world, it's it's all abstract, right? It's like you know you don't really hate an individual person; you hate their beliefs, right? You hate the things that um you you hate their actions, right? right? And it's so hard, like 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 you, like you were saying, Matt. Like it's like like you hate racism, but racism doesn't exist within a single person. It exists within the uh, the abstract, right? And so typically in stories, what you have to do is you have to be like, this guy embodies that thing that you hate. Right. So you will feel a sense of satisfaction when someone punches them through a wall. Um, and for us, like, we actually sort of like, like playing around with that abstraction, the idea that like, you know, which is why so many of our bad guys are institutions. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and fears. And um, we also have like, uh, a little low-grade doppelganger threat going through there that's just adding to fear and panic. But, um, yeah, I, I, honestly, it's like, I think my favorite Disney movie is Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. um, because the real villain of that movie isn't Gaston. It's the mob. Yeah, it's the fear of the beast because he looks different. Yeah, and 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 I think that uh, what we really try to play around with is, is that, like, like yeah yeah you don't hate you know this person you hate that everyone's listening to them yeah right and, and um yeah and what do you do with that um and and definitely Cosmos Journey is is a big one and in, in a lot of our individual segments we get to talk about uh, different aspects of you know fear and well so let let's talk about Cosmos because that is obviously kind of the I, I would very much describe it as the A story it's kind of the the through line of the whole thing is. Um, from your first episode, your last episode is just kind of the ongoing story of what's happening. What was the impetus? Why, why did you pick that particular story? Uh, and and the way in which it's obviously a, a an allegory, a metaphor for immigration and, and immigration fears and all that that's happening in this country now. It it wound up being cosmos, mostly an accident. Uh, I know personally, I. Superman is one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max had mentioned before, one of the things that people forget about Superman because he's seen as a Christ figure these days is that really Superman started as an allegory for being a, a Jewish person in America. Right. And you know, even his story is he's Moses. And even his name, his father's name, you know, those names are taken from Hebrew. Um so personally, I, I've had a lot of, you know, it, everybody who reads comics are like, I have my comic book story. And, you know, this is one of those things I've thought about with Superman forever. Mm-hmm. And when it came to writing the season, you know, as Max said, we have to simplify storylines. And we knew we needed someone for the audience to kind of get invested in. And it's especially hard because we have a news format. You know, we we don't get to tell the stories as they happen a lot of the time, unless it's one of our very rare live coverage episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, We're telling them after the fact. So we have to do it through interviews, through... um, this is a comedy show. I will let people know. Like, it is funny. Oh, very, <laughs> it's a, much so. very much so. It's a, it's a dramedy. <laughs> it's a dramedy, but... You'll laugh, you'll cry. It's great. <laughs> it it became a story that we were very invested in because, obviously, the show came out of, you know, the Trumpian era, right. the Trump era, yeah. whatever we're going to call it, the hell years. Um, 
And every time you turned on the news, it was this strong man just bullying immigrants. And, you know, what would happen if you bullied the strongest man on the planet who's an immigrant? And it's just, I feel like we were, we were definitely inspired by the news and how it was everywhere at the time. Well, I mean, you know, obviously everything is about COVID now, but I feel like before COVID, you know, we were just learning about horrific things that were happening to immigrants. For sure. Yeah. I, and it's like my um my wife's family is uh Mexican and like, you know, we we had we had, I mean like we had we were separating children from their parents. We were putting them in, in like cages and still are but, like we're still trying to like reunite them. And um like I mean, got so bad my uh, wife, who's uh, on the show, actress, very, very funny. Hire her. Uh, like she went to, uh, she's getting her master's in social work now mm-hmm. uh, as a direct result of like you know these news stories because she wants to help immigrant kids, and she did that, and I did this, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and who's gonna have more of an impact? That remains to be seen. But um, it's gonna be her. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be her. Um, no, but like, yeah. So like, as we were writing it, it's just like, yeah, you know, as you're fleshing out stories, like you just find the things that interest you and like those things keep expanding and so like we ended up having like what like three four different segments on cosmos uh with that great background interview jack wrote uh in episode four um we hear his speech it was actually the first thing for spr that was ever written yeah was that yeah that was from because i tried to write the show before i met max i tried to write the show alone and i wrote a little bit of it but um until we had worked on that pilot, and it was like, oh, this guy, you know, right. and we were able to flesh out the world together, yeah, uh, a lot more. But I, I that love was... that segment. Uh, Thank you. Um, yeah, in episode four, there's just like an interview with uh, Cosmos when he's in an ICE detention uh, center, talking about his like childhood and mm-hmm. uh, upbringing. It's, yeah, it just it's a nice little human moment. I, I what I, what I like about our show's format is um, because we're pulling all these different kinds of NPR programming, we get to tell all sorts of different stories in lots of different ways. Right. Uh, and it just lets like, uh, and one of those is um, Speech Bubble, uh, which is a little like fresh air, uh, but we get to do these deep dives and like really get to meet these characters and talk about like, um, you know, who they are as a people and like. Uh, I mean, I guess all of our shows, like all of our segments start with like, okay, this is the character that it's about and like, like, you know, who are they and like, like what's special about them? Why are they telling, why are we telling their story? But right. uh, like John, you said uh, earlier mm-hmm. that obviously you're kind of limited by the sort of NPR style format. In some ways though, I love that because I mean, that's how most of us learn about these things ourselves. You know, if I listen to NPR about a trial, I'm only going to get the things in NPRs. I'm never going to actually get to sit down as as the listener with the 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 person on trial or the prosecutor or anything. And so I I think it's a great storytelling method of just giving us those little snippets. And you know you only get to hear what's there, and you have to draw your own conclusions and things like that. And and thank you. And and in saying that, you know, it is limited. You know, good art comes out of limitations, right. yeah. and we've found a lot of ways to tell story by by being limited in those those the, the, in that fashion you know as i said we we tend to stay away from the live action storytelling you know we're we're trying to really nail that news voice and stay away from it being you know 
even though it's one of my favorites, uh, you know, like the War of the Worlds. Right. I mean, obviously, that's like the biggest inspiration behind this, but you know, that was all, uh, that was all present tense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, we actually uh, just spent uh, like the last three weeks cracking something in season three because of that limitation. It's like because there's true. a story that yeah. we wanted to tell, but like it only made sense to tell it in a certain way. Uh, and like for for weeks, we were just like, "This is definitely the story," but how do we put it on our show? Yeah. Um. And and I think we actually found a way that's going to be very very cool. But you know, that's born out of saying that like we're not going to compromise on our format so how do we make it work i mean one of my favorite things that you all do just in terms of the world building is because it, it really made me think about something in our own world you just casually mention how everyone feels about 720 and you know that clearly <laughs> some terrible thing happened on july 20th and unless i missed it you never really actually explain it that much and it it got me thinking about how like you know now, and obviously i think very clearly it's an allegory to 9-11 and how that phrase is just now so much part of the lexicon that I, you know, if someone came to Earth who'd never heard about the, the terrorist attack on 9-11, they'd probably have no idea why we keep mentioning 9-11 all the time without any context or any explanation. Um, and so I just thought that was a great little bit of world building of, and just a commentary there of, um, yeah, these things become so much part of the lexicon that you mention them again and again without even going going into it much. Yeah, well, I mean, like, and part of one one of the big things – oh, God. Like, when we started writing the show, there was so much talk about, like, okay, how far back in history do we have to go back and change things? Yeah. Um, like, we had talks about, like, hey, would colonialism still have happened if people had superpowers? And, like, like, it, like it got so complicated. <laughs> uh, and it was, like – and we solved this by just – doing the thing where like most like like there was just like a boom of people with superpowers in the mid 20th century mm-hmm. um like there were people with powers before then but just because we just found like like we wanted our show to have like a complete world behind it right, right. uh we wanted uh we want we yeah. wanted it to feel lived in right yeah and you know comics when they were first coming out everybody was inventing everything obviously we're writing this over 50 years since you know Superman hit the shelves, but so, like ninety, we, 90 we, years, yeah, 90. right? Like it's it's going to be a hundred years within our lifetimes. But we wanted it, we wanted everything to feel real, real. So we even have like a website that you know has like hidden things in it to really fill out the organizations. As you mentioned, there is an event called Seven Twenty. We will eventually deal with that, but we kind of don't want to talk about it until then, mm-hmm. just because. Yeah. As you said, it's if you were an alien coming to this place and you would hear a bunch of things in the lexicon that don't make sense, right? Like, we even have organizations that we mentioned that we have backstories for, like pretty full, yeah. you know, pretty full world building. We're just not going to throw it in until it's necessary, but it informs everything right. that we do. Because yeah. the... Sometimes it's the opposite, and sometimes, like, in a segment, we'll casually mention a hero that, like, is from the 70s or from the 80s, and then we'll be like, well, I guess that hero is part of the canon now. I wonder what they did. Yeah. <laughs> right. And But it, we wanted every everything that we throw into the show is to make this, this thing feel real. It's yeah. the reason why we have fake ads. Right. You know, we when we talked about the format of the show and... That was one of the first things. Okay, what is being sold to superheroes? And 
it they're a ton of fun to write. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, I I really love uh yeah, we have an ad for glasses that cause face blindness, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that you can keep your identity secret and you know, Dollar Shoe Club, yeah. speedsters run through their shoes and you know, it's, and, well, it's yeah, endless. And, but... and the inverse crossover, the dating app for supers where you put in your superpower and they definitely won't take your uh, secret identity right. and sell it. They're not they're not <laughs> of course not selling your data to supervillains. Yeah, no, definitely not, not 100% no. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's like, I mean, a lot of our ethos in creating this is, is like, like a big thing for me when we were playing together is that like, I wanted to like really create this uh, escapism, like where if you turn it on and you don't pay complete attention, it feels like you're just listening to the news, like, like you can put it on while driving and it's like, it, it feels like you're listening to something from a real world and, uh, you know, it just doesn't make you sad all the time. Right. Until we want you. And, and, until yeah, you, I, yeah, th- say, and like, then we will destroy you. I was going to say, I mean, I, I'm going to be careful not to spoil it because it, it is, I think, honestly, my favorite segment in the whole thing. But but you, you guys made me laugh all the time. You did make me cry with one segment, which is about – but the, there's this wonderful segment you all do about a person who yeah. is is so convinced that they're helping people and winds out realizing that they're helping, you know, the they're helping ICE in this terrible way. And it was it was just heartbreaking because the way you did it was not to tell the overall story, but just in that kind of personal interview way. Um, <laughs> and I, I just I, you know, I love great emotion stuff, but I just thought especially given how comedic everything else was, having that one moment just made it. I, I'm going to wonder if you can talk about how intentional that was, because it seems like it's both so inten- it is so powerful and also one of the ones that most makes the points that that y'all are y'all are getting at. Yeah, I, yeah. The segment you're talking about, I, I mean, I mean, we, we definitely knew it was gonna like punch people in the gut. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that. Seg- I love everything about that segment. We got a, um, um, we actually, um, uh, gender flipped the rule because we got a great audition uh, for it, and uh, I, I just, yeah, and uh, and. Yeah, in, in in writing that segment, like we 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 both took uh, little cracks at it. It's just we really like the idea of people who are legitimately trying to do their best. But it's the same thing with the henchmen, right? right? They 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 just do the job that's in front of them. And uh, you know, anytime we can like really talk about like the way that the world would exploit people who have certain powers. Like, I think that's always something worth telling because that's, you know, really like, like one of the main issues that drive our world. Like if you're good at something, you know, rather than enjoy it, it will be exploited to the profit of a third party. Mm -hmm. Usually like, you know, if you're a great athlete or artist or, you know, invent like the cure for a disease, like there's someone, you know, with their hands in their pockets waiting in the shadows to, to capitalize on it. And, you know, just from a storytelling standpoint, you know, dramatic movies have funny moments. And even though we wanted this to be a parody and and very funny, we knew that there were going to be times where we could tell stories that mattered. So when a story is sad, we don't shy away from it. We've we've definitely killed a few stories because I mean, like, this is just sad the entire time and without a purpose you know again parody with a purpose yeah I like so that idea. sometimes we are going to tell a story that's sad but you know most of the time we're trying to make you laugh well and so let's talk about one of the other big things you parody um 
the Legion is a big part of your story. It's the, and I, I'm, I think it's supposed to be very much a, a Justice League kind of allegory. Yeah. But over the course of the story, you come to realize this is not a heroic great group necessarily, especially in terms of, uh, you mentioned the Amazon story, that they are looking for a headquarters and, and obviously doing all kinds of like really problematic stuff. Talk a bit about what was what was your thinking with with the Legion story and how you wanted to play it, especially when you're putting Cosmos there as so very much the hero. H- how did the Legion want it to be different? Well, I mean, for us um, in our world, one of the big rules is that if you have superpowers and you want to be a hero, you can register with an organization, become official, like, hey, I am a hero, uh, or you can be independent and be called a vigilante, vigilante, you know, like Goatman. Uh, out there and I think this is one of those areas where like I find ourselves most contrasting with a show like The Boys because in The Boys um, uh, shoot what's the name v- v- Vox v- Vought Vought um, Vought is just like evil like they are doing bad things for bad people for bad reasons right um, and I think the Legion is a little bit more nuanced it really is just that corporate America kind of heroes where it's like no they're they're they're, they're, they're doing a valuable service but they also are very much self-interested and the heroes who work for the heroic legion are good decent people for the most part but you know they are bound by the same rules i mean like you know our storyline in season one is very much making them the amazon of heroic leagues and mm-hmm. uh we're, we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about um you know the gross monopolization of industries uh in future seasons because there are other organizations besides the legion there's like the southern battalion and a couple that we haven't come up with names for <laughs> but it's you know it's what you mentioned before most often the sources of evil in our world are systems yeah. you know policing police individually are not bad policing as an institution as it stands today is flawed and it's because systems exist to protect themselves and you know Obviously, we were inspired by Amazon. Like, we are going to deal with how superheroes police and police themselves in, in future seasons. And a lot of our organizations, we, with, with, with for lack of a better term, we tend to kitchen sink them. Mm-hmm. You know, the Heroic Legion is there to talk about corporate America. Right. But also, but also the police. It is. It's actually funny that it is this weird hybrid between police union and corporation. Which, in in reality, I mean, like that's what the Justice League is, right? Because this is our response to like you know criminals uh, in the world, and so therefore police union. But it's also a brand, right? And they they sell merch, right? They have characters that are well known they're celebrities right so it's so it is walking that middle line but because of that it has the flaws of both of those kinds of organizations right right an ethical issue that i've talked about a lot on this show is the i often sort of separate villains in between like the the villain that thinks they're the hero versus the mustache twirler you know and the mustache mm-hmm. twirler is what you often get of the mwahaha and, and and to me tends to be less interesting the stories i love are the people like killmonger or kingpin or those folks yeah. who think that they are doing the right thing. And generally in those shows, we see them only once they've become the villain. But I'm also interested in the moment when, like, the actual, they are a good person, but someone's getting in the way of them doing good. And so they're like, well, I, I guess it's okay to hurt this person. You know, the thinking that can, can, can get in there of, 
if I know that I'm doing the right thing, then anything that gets in the way must be a problem. And to me, it's that one, like, how do you recognize when you're actually doing good versus when it's just self-interest and it's, you're protecting yourself, not protecting your ability to do good and things like that. And I, I, I love, to me, the Legion's a great metaphor of that because like you said, they're, they're not mustache twirlers. They genuinely want to do good, but anything that now gets in the way of their doing what they think is right, they're seeing as a problem. All right. Well, I mean, it's also like different math for different people, but I mean, like, I think you're describing like good villains and bad villains. <laughs> Right. I mean, because like, I mean, because like the ones you mentioned are the ones you remember. Like those are the ones like, yeah, versus like, you know, Thor villain who was there and has simple powers comparable to Thor. Yeah. Right. Um, I think you're describing characters versus characterization. Yeah. Yeah. Or like archetypes. But yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. It's like people with legitimate wants and needs and goals who like are acting in their own interests to the best of what they think is right. I mean, like, yeah, that, that is what bad people do as well as good people. Right. right. Like that's the thing that makes them complete and morally ambiguous. Um, I mean, I, I, we actually play around with that in episode five. We have a episode, uh, a segment called the question where oh, someone who so works good. for a fortune 500 company, like has to like look around and be like, wait a second, are we super villains? <laughs> Because, uh, like, you know, they do things corporate America does. They they cut down rainforests. They, uh, you know, they, you know, exploit child labor. And you have to look at it and be like, yeah, our corporation was responsible for millions of death. Wait a second. Well, and I think what I love most about that segment is you have this person who's now retired. And he talks about how his entire career, he, you know, he kept asking this question from all the way back in the 70s. And at one point you have the reporter asking him, I, I think just well, but you kept going to work every day. And the person's response, well, of course, you know, like there's this, it, that sense of the person who's now having this idea of like, well, I always felt guilty about it, but that guilt never made me stop. Well, is, yeah, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he says like, so real world. Uh, I think he says like, um, yeah, but well, try finding a Fortune 500 company that isn't at least a little evil. I mean, it's like, you know, I had a, I had a wife and kids to support. It's, you know, it's the most disappointing thing about the world is that evil is boring. Yeah. You know, evil is never sexy. Evil is just it's number crunching. It's, you know, the Nazis, when they did everything that they did, it was really nobody was laughing or anything like that. It was just like, oh, we're going to take these people, put them here and do it again. Right. That's just it. And it just all became math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's I mean, a single death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. You're not gonna... Right. And it's. That's one of the things that we cover a lot on the show is, you know, evil is we want evil to be Killmonger and Kingpin and, you know, these or or any number of Batman villains that have these like romantic, terrible backstories. Yeah. But a lot of the time evil is just, oh, these guys are trying to unionize. We'd have to pay them more money. Let's let's not do that and then you know, like, yeah. their families like well, I, I mean i mean that's why people like breaking bad right it, like you have a perfectly normal dude who makes logical decision after logical decision uh that like you know makes him a soup like like a super villain like yeah. well like heisenberg is a super villain also sidebar mm-hmm. i want to see a batman comic where it's walter white versus batman that would be <laughs> I love that. like that would be top tier yeah. Batman oh, villain. Yeah. For me. Well, especially uh. because I one of 
uh, we recently did an episode on WandaVision where I talked about the idea of like that one of the things that often happens in the, the Batman villain, like you said, is they do have that romantic backstory, the, the Mr. Freeze of it all or the like. And then not always, but that Batman often winds up being kind of sympathetic to them. You know, that, that some of my favorite episodes are uh, Harley's Bad Day or other things like that, where Batman is clearly have, has some sympathy for these people, even though he has a sense of like, you want to do bad things. I need to stop you but I don't hate you for it. I don't want to hurt you for it. I just need to stop you from doing the bad thing. And I think that's, you're right. Well, it's, it's, it's not <laughs> Emperor Palpatine shouting ultimate power is to me. I'm a diehard star Wars fan. Hardcore. One of the worst moments of the entire saga, because it's, there's no motivation there. There's no realness. It's just mustache twirling. And that just doesn't exist in our own world. Uh, do you have two and a half hours for Jack and I to talk to you about why Batman sucks? <laughs> I mean, I, I like Batman. No, no, we love Batman. We love watching Batman. But why Bruce, sorry, Bruce Wayne. By Bruce Wayne is just, God, he's Are the worst. Are you suggesting that a billionaire who wants to stop things that from being bad in our world could do something with his money other than punching poor people? That, that can't uh, be what you're saying. Right? No, no, sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm convinced. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a reason that, like, cops and gangsters are always, like, chummy chummy, right? right? It's, they like, they spend a lot of time in the same world. They use a lot of the same tactics. They're just on the other side. It's, like, why you shake hands after a football match. Yeah. No, it's... You know, it... Yeah, and it's, like, yeah, uh, God, we, like, we're going to have some fun uh, with our... Not our version of Batman, of course, because like you know the, the, he draws on a number of things, but Goatman, the uh, mm-hmm. the vigilante, you know, yeah, the, master of karate, yeah, the master of karate. <laughs> uh, and I, I do have some Bruce Wayne defense in my life, but I, I we can have that discussion another time. But I I definitely get what you're yeah. saying there, because it, it, again, it's the systems, and it's to me, I think when you do with something like the question so well, is that when you have someone who doesn't realize they're being evil, yeah, where is the more now so. You know, the person who stands up and says, ha, I want to kill everyone. Sure. Our hero kills them first. Totally morally justified. The person who says, I'm just trying to feed my family. So I'm a henchman at the very bottom level. Seems like there's no moral justification in killing that person. Then you get someone like well, in the question, the CEO, like how it's one of the questions that I, I often wrestle with the most on this show is at what level do you have so much moral culpability for you know, you should realize the evil of the decisions you're making that you get to get punched by Cosmos or whoever it is. Uh, and it's, it's I think, I think the movies and TV show want to make the simple and you guys do a great job of really sort of playing with that, that middle ground and that grayness. Even in the question, though, like at the end of the day, he doesn't think that he's a villain. Right. He thinks that the corporation as a whole is, is the villain and he's a henchman working for it. And, 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 and I think that's, that's really what we play around with. Like, it's like, no, it's not like any individual person here. It's you are working together and doing evil with your powers combined. You are Captain Evil. Evil Pants. Evil Pants. (laughs) Yeah, that got away from me uh, a little bit. Um, Yeah, but, but like, you know, and in that story, you have like, you know, the Heroic Legion never stops them, but they do stop the other corporations because it is headed by a supervillain who wears a fun costume. Right. And that's the main difference, right? Um, yeah, we we keep things gray on purpose because the second we turn it black and white, we're just doing our version of comics, mm-hmm. and we which lose, we love, <laughs> which we love. No, I mean, if yeah. if Marvel and 
or DC were to call tomorrow and it's like, we want this show, but in our universe, we'd be like, great, it's gone. <laughs> we, we, we have a bad guy that, is, that has the same powers as the good guy. It's, it's going to be great. He, yeah. he, 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 want, he wants to blow up the sky using a laser. Oh. He's a, it's a dark mirror, but well, it's, it's fine. Yeah, right? it's fine. Yeah. Like, no, um, well, I, actually, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, like, you know, once you have the mwahaha guy, like, it's like, it's okay to kill him, but like, then later in the season, we have an episode with the mwahaha guy, and even that guy, like, you know, he doesn't want to kill people, he just wants money. Yeah. Right? You don't hold the world ransom to blow up the world, you roll, hold the world ransom because you want to retire. I think one of my favorite parts, as part of that Cosmos story, you have a couple of interviews with, with different people, you know, from different perspectives. And you have one supervillain being interviewed from, I think, a prison on the moon who's saying, yeah. like, this is terrible. Cosmos Bone deserves cranium. the right to stay in America so I can defeat him in true, you know, villain fashion. And it's just this wonderful, like, it, it, kind of like you said, the cops and robbers. It's kind of that, you know, like, no, I want him to be able to be in the ring so that I can defeat him and, and turn him into <laughs> Adams. But don't don't you know, deport him first. It's just such a wonderful, like, of course that's the perspective this guy would have. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the, you know, I, like, I will fight you honorably. And, you know, what honorably means is sort of warped by, like, you know, the insane world that they're in. But it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, that's like, you know, it's like when the other team has to, uh, you know, concede because they don't have enough players, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, that's not how you want to win. Yeah. Um, and we also don't aim for true realism a lot of the time. What? Because <laughs> the comics are are best when they're silly. Yeah. You know i I find myself pining for the days that we grew up in, like I, the Batman animated series and the Superman animated series, Justice League, Excellent. which still treated the stories as very mature, but never really fully went all realism right, right? Uh, I, one of my favorite joker moments is when he's talking with his accountant and he's like what you haven't paid my taxes yet <laughs> and he's like he's like i'm i'm not afraid of batman but i'm afraid of the irs <laughs> like they they took down capone it's so it like wow this is i love that moment <laughs> and so <laughs> even though we're trying to tell real world consequences like we you cannot get away from the fact that comic books are inherently silly. I mean, you just you can't. I, oh, I'm very. Fr- wh- I I am very very excited to see the Snyder cut. Zack Snyder's <sighs> grim dark realism <laughs> at the same time, not the. It, it's just not as fun. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, and that's part of why I think like if we stopped being silly, I don't think anyone would enjoy listening to the show. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, then, oh, yeah. then we would just be moralizing, right? It's like, yeah, like like silliness is where we draw our power from. I mean, I think one of my favorite segments you guys do throughout it is the one that's ba- it's basically clearly a ripoff of Car Talk, but where instead of <laughs> click and clack, you've got, uh, I think it's a, a person and a... Uh, it's a Stan the Henchman and Billy the Whiz Kid. Billy, right, and they're talking, but they're basically doing like Car Talk for like utility belt type stuff. Um, and do any of the callers survive a call? Because it seems like in, in an awful lot of those calls, people call in in the middle of dire situations, and then the call gets cut off early. <laughs> I just, it, it's they, hilariously funny. I don't think anyone would run a radio show where people call in in the middle of, like, fights, yet the way you do it, it is so funny that it's perfect. 
I, I think we've established that maybe everyone lives at the end. Maybe. <laughs> we're going to let you decide. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to, we're going to tell you. Yeah. I mean, you know. Because I think I remember the se- on the Sec- second the one. The second one. Oh, my God. No, yeah. No, well. No, just, no, no. Like, it's episode the two, the one, first one. Uh, the, the... But, but I mean, like, in the order we were oh, writing yeah, yeah. it, I think it was the question at the end. Where you were like, wait a second, does it actually work? And I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Nothing ever works on the show. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I love writing utility belt episodes because uh, it, it's my favorite kind of engineering, which is plausible but not actual uh, like physics involved. Uh, so like like you know like we're describing like the mechanisms of like bulletproof capes and uh grappling hooks and you're like oh yeah okay yeah nano motor retracting the thing i'm above but like if anyone suffers negative consequences on utility belt it's never the fault of stan and billy right it's that's true it, it is always their own fault and okay so when we recorded the uh first utility belt that appears the bulletproof cape one um and we got we got a scream at the end that was like maybe not as PG thirteen as we would have liked <laughs> from you know because we're talking about a bulletproof cape and then there was like I made a sound effect that was a little squishy, <laughs> not to mention the rug dropping on the floor sound uh, of the yeah of the body yeah uh, yeah yeah and uh, we listened to it and and and, and, uh, and Jack Jack was right. When he said absolutely not, this is way, <laughs> this is gonna bump people out way too much. Uh, that the explicit version is available on our Patreon, though. If you do want to hear a vi- yeah. like, if if you want to be sure that someone died at the end of a like, utility belt, that that is the episode where it happens. But oh Jesus, oh uh, God! But yeah, so so after that, we uh, definitely started cutting it in a way that and using sound effects that implied that like yeah, maybe that maybe they'll be okay. Yeah. So the one thing I wanted to ask about is the name, because we've talked a couple times about superheroes, and I, I remember I, I, I'd been listening to your show for probably three or four episodes, and I started telling someone, oh, you need to check out, check out Superhero Public Radio. And of course, they searched for it and didn't find anything, because the name is actually Superhuman Public Radio. What, what was the thinking? Like, I, I feel like that's a very significant difference, and I really like it, but I'd love to hear from you all, like, why Superhuman as opposed to Superhero? Well, not everybody's going to be a superhero. Like, you know, in the world building of the show, we've decided, you know, we were trying to think, okay, how many people have superpowers? And the number that we landed on is essentially like, what is the number of, like, queer people in the Mm -hmm. world, right? It's something that a lot of people, there's no 100% solid number because not everybody is open about it. Yeah. But essentially... Around in the human population, it's like what twenty-two to eighteen percent of the human population probably identifies somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. Right. Yeah, right? though it's funny. Like in the nineties, it was like yeah, probably like eight to ten people, eight to ten percent of people, and then you know we stopped basically criminalizing being gay, and then it doubled very rapidly. Right. Um. So and, like like who who even knows like what the real number is? But yeah, it's it's about like twenty-three, and a lot of them are just you know accountants. Right. Yeah, it, it, I feel like, again, to use this allegory, is that people looked at gay people and they're like, oh, there's like the five people on Queer Eye and then Will and Grace. no one else, yeah. right? But there's this, there would be a huge amount of people who are superhuman that would have normal lives. And 
in making the show, you're thinking, oh, like, this is a network for them. And everything that kind of surrounds them, obviously, it has a superhero bent, but it just felt like that's how it would be in the world. Like, not everything is focused around superheroes. And and it's like, and, and, and we've also, like, gone back and forth on, like, whether the idea that, like, you know, in this world, is this fully their NPR? Like, is this the station that anyone would listen to? And I, th- I think it, I mean, like, it definitely is something that anyone could turn into, even though it is, like, like, our tagline is, like, superhumans like you, with the, you know, idea that, like, enough superhumans are out there that they this is where they get news that relates to their issues. Right. Yeah, I kind of thought um, of this as kind of like the BET or, like, the Telemundo in terms of, you know, yeah. aimed at a specific audience. And anyone's willing, you know... If, if I was a normal human who wanted to learn more about superheroes, I might tune into this, but I'd know like it is programming for that particular community. Right. Or if there's like a really good show on BET that you want to watch, absolutely yeah, like, watch the hell out of it. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, Jack, uh, we should probably get the domain superhero public radio, though. On yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, about a year and a half after I, pub- after I started this, someone published a book called Superhero Ethics from a completely right wing perspective. So I have learned to be oh, very no. careful about claiming <laughs> your names. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm like you know, the idea of the casual superhuman is actually something that we uh, do like to express. And um, uh, uh, no, that that'd be a spoiler. Um, and it is something that in season two, the idea of trust trying to be a normal person with superpowers. Uh, is going to be made a lot harder right. in our upcoming seasons. Um, and and that is something that, like, you know, it's... Every generation has some scapegoat, right, that you point to. And I think uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, like, there was a lot of bluster about, like, how, you know, if you let gay people marry them, people are going to marry a goat. And then when people marry a goat, that's the devil! Uh, and then, you know... You know, I guess now maybe it's like refugees. There's, there's always there's always some other that, right. um, uh, you know, white supremacists or you know fascists or people who like live off of you know riling up. Uh, people always point to, and you know, superhumans definitely have been marginalized in that way in the past, and that's something that we do want to talk about because that's an issue that's affected so many different kind of communities for sure you you mentioned at the very beginning how the x-men can kind of be a metaphor for whatever is the the other of the of the day yeah. and how like originally the comics can very much be seen as a metaphor of race um i i just i have an episode that i've recorded that'll probably come out after this one but that's all about how some of the more recent movies were very much uh the x-men as a metaphor both of queerness and also of disability um and yeah. so I, I i i like where you're going with there yeah, and, 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 and something that like we really like in all of our making of our show, we really wanted to try to make this show as inclusive as humanly possible. We have a cast of fifty four people this season. Just because like we wanted a lot of different kinds of voices in there. Yeah. Um and yeah, I mean like and uh, there's topics that like next season we're opening our writers room to um for people who can like submit scripts about things like that because we really do want to tackle some issues that maybe aren't stories best told by a couple of white cis dudes mm-hmm. uh, out there. But, like, we really want to tackle, like, ableism and racism and homophobia. Oh. Um, uh, 
harder than we have in this first season. Speaking as a disabled person who has often been very frustrated by the fact that, like, disabled heroes, it's often the superpower erases the disability, which I think is kind yeah. of a, a terrible way to tell that story. I will I will definitely try and submit something because I think that would be a great thing to, to have on there is a story about someone who is disabled and has powers and how those two interact. So, yeah, that sounds great. You guys are doing that. Yeah. And let me kind of use that as a, a well, my closing question. And I want to give you all a chance to say anything else you wanted to ask about or talk about. Um, one of the things that I think we hear in fandom all the time, and, and this discussion can get very toxic very quickly, unfortunately, but is the the sort of pushback of like take your com- take your politics out of my comic book stories. You know, I don't want. I just want escapism. And as you said, it it's kind of ridiculous because you go all the way back to the two Jews in 1930s Cleveland writing Superman clearly as an allegory. You know. Superman's first villains were landlords and husbands who beat their wives and it was very political and corrupt politicians. But obviously there is this sort of sense of like how much, how do you find the line between entertainment versus just sort of like using this to make your own political polemics and stuff like that? Uh, and I'm kind of curious how, how, as your creative process, how do you find that line? You very clearly have a, a soapbox you're wanting to, to use, which I think is great. That's what superhero stories have always done. But were there stories where you were like, eh, this is becoming a little bit too much, us just making a political point, or ones where you were like, let's let's push up the politics on this? I mean, I, I don't even, I don't think it's like, I don't think that question ever really, like, comes into it. Like, awesome. like we don't actively pursue being political or not. There's issues we want to talk about. I mean, for people who are like, oh, God, why are you politicizing comics? Like, they don't. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, fuck off. That's, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, boom, boom, laser, laser. Um, yeah, like, like those people just don't know anything about comics yeah. <laughs> or why they exist yeah, or art yeah. or any medium. Yeah. Basically, um, like if you want an artist to create something that is totally apolitical, um, I'm sure there's an AI that someone's working on mm-hmm. that will, yeah, will gladly do it. But like the act of creating anything is political in some way. It's just. Right. You know, how much but, do you tame yourself? I mean, I'm a big believer that the idea that, you know, if, if you say nothing about politics, you're making an active statement in favor of the status quo. And that, like, right. once you enter into the world of superhumans who are – once you enter into the world of people who are using force to stop others from doing things they think are wrong, you're by definition making a commentary on the police or on, you know, any use of authority to use violence to stop others from doing what they're doing. And so, yeah, I – I like that perspective of just, you, of course, there's going to be a, a commentary in it. So you might as well shape it to what you all believe in. Yeah. But it's also, yeah, it's, comics have always been political since the beginning. You know, one of my favorite bellwethers of American politics is Captain America, you know. And obviously he's punching nazis at first but as you go throughout the years like you can obviously tell where this character lies you know politically and when you get into you know ed broodbaker's run with the winter soldier which you know directly inspired civil war which has a lot to do with sort of what's left over of the patriot act and how that has still affected our lives like comics are political look at batman like batman is another one of these characters where Whoever is writing him, you get their politics immediately. If you read Frank Miller's run, obviously he, at the time, he's kind of gone back on this. Like, he was very far right Mm -hmm. and, you know, very Reagan America. But then 
you look at Grant Morrison's very humanist, um, you know, somewhat vegan run on Batman, like you, you get who he is as a person. And anyone who says that these things shouldn't be political, well, they're yeah. wrong. Well, actually, <laughs> like, yeah. So, so actually, uh, I think what it is is people equate political with not being fun. Mm. And I think when people say this is like political, it, what they mean it's it's too soapboxy. Like like they have taken to exposition, and it is more important to be saying the point than to convey the point. Right. And and also, sometimes those people are just bummed out by politics that go yeah. against what they believe. That's right. Which you know they should be taking a long hard look at themselves. You know. Whenever I've heard comics shouldn't be political, a lot of the time I heard it about the X-Men, which made my head want to explode because they are literal social justice warriors. Yeah. <laughs> like, that could be the name of the comic, and really nothing much would change. Um, however, when it comes to our show, like, you know, we, we have stepped on stories that we've thought we need to do more research on, mm. you know. This might pop up. Max, you can tell me if you want to cut it out. One of the stories that we had talked about for season one was having a Joker analogy and whether it was moral or not for this character not to have been put to death. Because obviously in the comics, like the Joker breaks out of Arkham Asylum. He kills a lot of people. Batman catches him and throws him back in. Right. 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 On a service level, like, yeah, we should kill this guy so he stops killing others. But... You know, we we don't live in a world where we're at risk of Superman or supervillains breaking out all the time. We do live in a world where huh. people are put to death unjustly. Right. And, yeah. you know, how do we approach this story using both sets of rules, right? If... Yeah. If we if we ha- if we tell the story like how how do we do it in such a way where we honor comics but we also do not ignore the horrific realities of the death penalty, and we stopped that story. Yeah, and it is something we do want to tackle at some point. Whether we do, I don't know yet. It's well, it's just like we want to make sure that we do the research before we say something, right? Because it's hard not to draw a moral out of a story because like. Especially in doing something that like like what we're doing, where some things are very much intentionally tied to something. Like if we do a death penalty episode, it, it, yeah, does it become a statement on the death penalty? It's actually it absolutely does. Right? I, I mean, yeah, right. It, it's kind of interesting. The Joker problem is almost a variation of the trolley cart problem, right? Oh, like no, you can kill this one person to prevent the death of you know ten hypothetical people. Right. Well, to me, uh, to me, it's it's two things. It's it's on the one hand, it's it's the trolley problem. It's also the idea of when do you accept brokenness? Because if the conceit is always that uh, that the Joker would have to die because we haven't been able to create a prison that can hold the Joker, you know, why isn't the answer to build a better prison or build a better mental facility, of course? And then that gets into all the mm-hmm. other questions there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can both see why that would be a fantastic segment, but also one to maybe be cautious of because there, there's just so much to uh, to really want to make sure that you're able to, to talk about from a uh informed position yeah well it's also like when dealing with the joker you're dealing with a hypothetical creation of a person who is a pure sociopath right right like like there there is no possibility of uh rehabilitation because like in the joker's creation like like this is someone who has 
no fixed like no conception of this morality and that's why it's okay to demonize him in those ways but you know yeah it's it, it like everything gets so sticky to, like when, when we're talking about that it's just like you know i guess in some ways going back to the question sort of started this tangent it's like you know the question of like when do we politicize it it's more like a question of if this were to be politicized what are we saying with this right yeah like you know we've talked a lot about cosmos one of the things we haven't talked about is uh the fact that we consulted with an immigration attorney oh, that's great. about that storyline because we knew we were dealing with something that we might have a listener who had a family member who might be undocumented or I might have friends that have gone through this. And, you know, again, we're two straight white dudes, you know, from the suburbs. There's not a lot that has happened in our lives that has been you know, externally terrible just by virtue of our birth. So when we're dealing with anything that white privilege, man, (laughs) yeah, well, it's just anytime we're trying, we, we deal with a subject that is potentially sensitive to others. We want to do our research because, well, we're, we're trying to do our best. And if, and if we, and if we don't, we've failed our audience in a way. Yeah, I, I like that perspective a lot. For me, I, I've talked about this before on here, but science fiction and comic books go very much hand in hand. And my kind of initial impetus for the way I think about these things came when I was very young. My mother was a huge fan of the original Star Trek. And when I was like seven, eight, nine years old, she and I would sit down and watch episodes of the original series when it was on syndication. And then she would ask me sort of, okay, well, what do you think about, you know, like, what did this show have to say about race or power or things like that? And that's where a lot of my sort of early education of the idea of that one of these things, these kind of stories can do, whether it's science fiction or comic book or superpowers is take an issue that's in our own world and then say, okay, what if we, we, we sort of stretch it to absurdium, you know, stretch, you know, push it to, so it's not a criminal. It's a, it's a joker. What if it's not, you know, if it's not just the, uh, immigration, it's the alien, the, the superhuman person in, in the immigration system. And so I, to me, it's just such a great way of exploring ethical questions because it's, it's, not, it's not an ethics class. It's not hitting people over the head. You can listen to your stuff and maybe not even think consciously about this, but you're putting those ideas in people's heads in the same way like Star Trek does or X-Men does or anything like that. And I think that's, to me, that's why I do this whole project is because is I love that idea of using these stories to look at ethical questions from a kind of side, you know, we're, we're going to entertain you so much that you barely notice. We're also really like hitting you on some ethical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, superheroes at their best teach children lessons about how to be better people. And obviously a lot of superhero media has been kicked open for like all audiences, but we got to remember, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, they were originally aimed at kids and they were there to teach you lessons about morality. And what we're trying to do and what comics should do today is, honestly, we should be doing the same for adults now. You know, comics have grown up. It it doesn't mean that the violence gets more violent. It should mean that the questions and the lessons that we're being taught should really be there to help us be better adults. 
Well, I think that's kind of a, a good way of wrapping up. So I'll just throw it back to you all. Is there any other last points or questions that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you wanted to go into? What are Spider Dan's webs made of? The answer may surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, 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 yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, we are starting to break down uh, season two right now. Uh, we're hopefully going to start releasing by the end of the year. Awesome. Uh, on season two, and like I said, uh, we're uh, going to be opening our writers' room to uh, to freelance submissions. Uh, not going to pay those people well, but uh, it's a chance to see their work produced. <laughs> it should be mentioned that we get paid yeah. nothing. Yeah, that is true. That that this is all coming out yeah. of our broke freelance pockets. <laughs> yeah, and our Patreon. <laughs> and our well, Patreon. So, you know, I can't pay my guests except in exposure. So this is the right. um, for those folks who are really interested now. Obviously. I hope everyone subscribes to Superhero Public Super Superhuman Public Radio. Uh, it's easily found on like uh, Podbeam or any of the podcast things. But beyond that, if folks want to support you all with Patreon or find more of each of you, what are the best ways they can do that? Well, every social media uh, and website we have is SPR uh, Superhuman Public Radio SPR Pod. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, our website even SPRPod.com will get you there. Um, and our Patreon, also, SPR Pod. Um, yeah, and uh, actually, if, on, if you're on Twitter a lot, uh, we have five Twitter accounts that are all in-universe, and they oh, all awesome. have discussions with each other that uh, I think three people are aware of. And those three <laughs> people have had a great time over the course of our first season watching VLN and the Heroic Legion duke it out in Twitter battles. Well, I will definitely sign up for those. And where, um, if you send me uh, what all those names are, I will make sure to put them in the show notes uh, so people can find and subscribe to all of them. Awesome. Uh, Jack and Great. All right. Well, thank you all so much. To our listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Were you already listening to this show um, and, and want to chime in? Are you now super interested in checking it out? What do you think of the issues we discussed? You can find us on, by, on Twitter or Facebook by searching for The Ethical Panda. On Twitter, it's ethicalpanda 77 you can also email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Uh, we also now have a Patreon, um, so please subscribe, uh, support uh, SPR. And if you want to support this podcast as well, you can find that on Patreon at The Ethical Panda. And this podcast is part of a larger podcast network, the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. On that network, you can find my own show about Star Wars. You can also find other great shows about the MCU, DC, Star Trek, all sorts of other properties. A lot of great content. Please check all that out at strandedpanda.com. So I'm going to have myself, John, Maximilian. Thank you both so much for being a part of this. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>